Thank you, Zach, for reading our scripture tonight, and thank you for being here. Very grateful for your presence tonight, and hopefully and prayerfully, hopefully and prayerfully, our time together will be beneficial. Very grateful for the opportunity that we've had today to worship God, to study from His Word, and we're very thankful that you've chosen to be here tonight. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We're very, very glad that you've chosen to come our way tonight. Always grateful to have visitors with us. We, want to, we certainly want to extend an invitation to anyone who is looking to, for a church home to give consideration to the work here. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Tonight I want to call attention to 1 Peter chapter 5. And while you're turning to 1 Peter 5, the passage Zach read a moment ago, we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. I do want to say very quickly, yesterday afternoon, the young people... And I wanted to say this because, you know, there are a lot of things that go on and a lot of good works go on. Sometimes they go unnoticed. And yesterday afternoon, there was a luau at Silver Creek, and our young people served. And uh, Jared headed that up, and they did a great job. And I, I certainly appreciate all the young people that were involved in that. I know that the residents there, they loved it. And as a matter of fact, one of the I guess one of the residents told me that the luau is the biggest event they have in the year, exceeding Christmas. And uh, it was something. They had lots of food and had entertainment. Oh, Jared's showing a picture. They had a, look, they had a pig there yesterday. Well, they had the head of a pig. Two heads, actually. And so, I don't know how I got the idea, but I got to thinking, you know, I'm going to take a luau, strap it around that pig's head, and that's going to be my date. <laughs> and so, I told Lauren, take a picture, and I'm going to kiss this pig. <laughs> I got close, but I didn't kiss the pig. But I uh, forgot about that. What was it? The Bible said, be, be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> and so busted tonight. But uh, it was a great occasion, and I appreciate all those who helped. And it was uh, to see all the residents there and uh, the fun that they had. Uh, it was just a really special evening. And so I appreciate all the hard work. And there are a lot of things that go on here from week to week. And many of you are involved in things that no one else knows about, and I appreciate it, and I want you to know how much. I know the elders appreciate all the work that goes on. And uh, a body requires every member working. And so I'm very, very grateful for young and old who do so much for the cause of Christ in this community. All right, we're looking tonight at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And in our study tonight, we're going to be talking about the devil and the importance of being, being on guard, as we would say, to beware of our adversary. There's a lot to be said for knowing your enemy and knowing what your enemy is capable of doing. The Bible is not silent with regard to the work and intent of the devil. His goal is spelled out by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. That goal is to devour 
saints of God. And so Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In verse 9 he said, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I want to begin our study tonight by talking about the fact that Satan is a determined foe. Satan is a determined foe. And I want to begin by calling attention to the names of our adversary. Now Peter identifies him as the devil. The word devil means an enemy, an accuser, a slanderer. And you remember in Revelation chapter 12, John talked about the devil, the one who is the deceiver of the whole world. He went on to say that he is the accuser of the brethren. And so we find that borne out in Scripture. He is not only identified as the devil, but we also know him as Satan, don't we? And the word Satan, the name Satan, means adversary. The devil is not an ally, but rather he is an adversary. I think it's interesting that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus identifies him as the wicked one. He is called in Matthew 13, verse 39, the enemy. In Matthew chapter 4, he is identified by Matthew as the tempter, lending insight into his work. And the names that are used to identify our adversary help us to understand his role, his work, his desire. Now as we think about his names, I want to just very quickly talk for a moment or two about the nature of our adversary. What about the nature of our adversary? First and foremost, we have to understand he is relentless. The devil is a relentless being. He has been stalking the human family since the days of the Garden of Eden, hasn't he? And when I think about the relentless work of the devil, what comes to my mind is here is somebody, here is a being who is going to bring it every single day. He's going to give his best, he's going to bring his best because his intent is the destruction of the human family. And so the devil is relentless. You remember in Matthew chapter, well, actually in Luke chapter 4, a parallel passage. The Bible talks about the temptations that the devil posed to Jesus. And Jesus responded each and every time by quoting Scripture. And the Bible tells us in verse 13 that when the devil had, emptied, had ended his temptations, that he left him until an opportune time. And so what Luke is saying is the devil was not finished with the Lord Jesus, but rather through the resistance offered by Jesus, the devil backed away. But the bottom line, according to Scripture, is he planned on coming back. And he did, didn't he? And so when we think about the work of the devil, to understand he is relentless. 
I mean, He's going to bring it every single day. He's going to do everything within His power to destroy us. I think about how He gives 110% effort, as we say. You know, years ago, there was a famous baseball player, Pete Rose. He was called Charlie Hustle. If you remember, if you can remember back to the 70s when he played, this guy gave everything he had. He might have grounded out. He might have fouled out. He might hit a fly ball, but I can tell you one thing. He's going to give everything he has running to first base, or he would give everything he had running to first base. If he were rounding the bases, trying to get an extra base, you could bet if, the call, if, if, if necessary, he's going to lay completely out like Superman and dive headfirst into the bag. I mean, the guy was relentless in terms of ability. In ter- As a matter of fact, he may not have had the greatest abil- ability, but he was relentless on the ball field. So first, the devil is relentless, and then secondly, he is ruthless. The devil's ruthless. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Go back and look. You remember in the book of Job, in chapters 1 and 2, the Bible talks about how the devil approached the throne of God. And really, he brought before God a baseless charge against God's servant Job. The bottom line is, he said, you know what, God, you've built a hedge around him. You take that hedge away, and guess what? He won't serve you anymore. And so God allowed Satan to literally throw his best at this great patriarch. And Job held up, didn't he? You remember the text tells us in chapter 1, Job had ten children, seven sons and three daughters. He lost all all of those children, didn't he? You think the devil shed tears? When Job buried those children, you think it broke his heart? Do you think he sympathized with Job? Absolutely not. I tend to believe he rejoiced. And then when he struck his finances, hit him hard, didn't he? You think that bothered Satan? Absolutely not. And then over in chapter 2, we have... We have Satan coming again before the throne of God. And so, because he couldn't destroy him by attacking his family and his finances, what did he do? He said, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. You know what he was saying? Every man has his price, doesn't he? Put forth your hand, strike his flesh, and what will he do? He'll curse you to your face. Now you look at Job and you think about, here was a man that was afflicted with boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. I can only imagine what a pathetic sight he must have been in that day. Here is a man that has been broken. I mean, his spirit has been broken. He's lost his children. He's lost a great deal of his financial resources. He's lost his health, and then his own wife, rather than standing and supporting him, you remember what she said? Curse God and die. 
Job withstood that onslaught of difficulties brought on by the devil. He is a ruthless being. I was reading, as a matter of fact, I was reflecting this past week. Somebody brought it to my attention. Fifty years ago, in 1969, our country was introduced to Charles Manson and his mob. August 8 and 9, the Manson family went to the home of Sharon Tate. And if you go back and you read the report, and I went back and read a little bit this afternoon. You talk about ruthless, merciless people. As a matter of fact, they said before they committed the crimes, when they beg for mercy, you don't give them any mercy. I read this afternoon, Sharon Tate pleaded for her life. Not only did they kill her, but she was eight and a half months pregnant. They killed her and her unborn child, along with four other people. It was a gruesome and grotesque murder scene. You talk about ruthless, godless people. That is a fit description of those people. And let me tell you what, that lends insight into the being we're talking about. These guys were ruthless. And I assure you, the devil is equally ruthless. I have no, no idea of knowing how many cemeteries I've been, been to through the years. But all of the cemeteries and all the graves, and many times we'll talk about, well, he or she succumbed to cancer or age or whatever. But ultimately the culprit behind every single death is whom? It's the devil. I mean, we want to talk about mass murder, terrorism. I can tell you who is a mass murderer. I can tell you who is a terrorist. It's called, he's called the devil, Satan. He is relentless and he is ruthless. And his, his goal is to make your life absolutely miserable. You need to understand right up front, he hates you. He hates you with a perfect hatred. He hates all of us. And so, he is a determined foe. Not only is he a determined foe, he is a dangerous foe. Satan is a dangerous foe. What do I mean when I say he is a dangerous foe? Well, we need to understand something about the precision of the devil. Listen again to Peter. He said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is very precise in his work. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly who his targets are. 
And he comes, as we say from time to time, loaded for bear. So what about the devil? Number one, he is shrewd. He's very wise. He's very cunning, isn't he? You remember Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Some of us, some of us have fallen prey to those who scam. They're always running scams, aren't they? They're schemers. That's the devil. What he's trying to do is scam your soul, subvert your soul. And so what Paul said is, we've got to be strong and ready because we're going to do battle with the devil. He is our adversary. He is a very shrewd being. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's been doing it a long time. And he's been very successful. Not only is he shrewd, but he is skilled. He is extremely skilled. Peter compares him to a roaring lion who is out on the prowl. Now when we talk about the jungle, who is the king of the jungle? The lion is, isn't he? A lion knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to prey. He's methodical. He is intelligent. He's crafty. And he's always out on the prowl. That's the devil. Now I said a minute ago that he's very precise. You remember over in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talked about taking the shield of faith. He said, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I don't know if any of you have ever liked to throw darts. I used to have a couple of, couple of dart boards. And I enjoy throwing darts, but you've got to be very precise, don't you? I mean, the target is very small. And so you're hurling darts at a very small target. Well, let me tell you what, the devil is skilled. And he is, he is constantly hurling darts at us with the intent of bringing us down. I mean, that's, that's, his, that's, that's, that's what he lives for, is to destroy. And so, he is shrewd, He's skillful. But then what about the purpose of the devil? Peter tells us what his purpose is. There are two words that I would use to describe the purpose of the devil. Number one, the devil wants to deceive, doesn't he? I mean, that's really, that's how he operates. It's all about deception. Sometimes we talk about smoke and mirrors. The devil is all about deceiving people. As a matter of fact, I cited just a moment ago, Revelation chapter, twin, right, chapter 12, rather, where John identifies the devil as the deceiver of the whole world. When the serpent came on the scene in the Garden of Eden, did he use deception to undermine Eve in the long ago? Yes, he did. So 
When you think about the devil, he's got what I typically think about as being a toolbox. He's got a lot of different tools in that toolbox, doesn't he? Some of you are good mechanics. Some of you are good with wood. You're a woodworker. Some of you have a lot of talents. And you have tools for your trade. Well, the devil's got a lot of tools. And he uses the various tools in his bag or in his toolbox to deceive, doesn't he? You remember James said in James chapter 1, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. The devil has lots of different types of bait. He understands that what might bait you might not necessarily bait me. And vice versa. The devil knows your weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths in terms of the human family. And so he is constantly throwing out bait. Throw a little bait here, throw a little here, throw a little here. And guess what? Sooner or later, somebody's going to bite, aren't they? Now James said that lust, when it conceives, brings forth what? Death. How then does the devil operate? You know, the devil can, can take things and make them look so tantalizing. I mean, he can take things and, and really make you think, I need some of that. I want some of that. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. Piece of fruit undermined the first family. Look, the devil, I said a minute ago, he is shrewd. He is very skilled. Think, think for a minute about how he operates. He's been doing this a long time, hasn't he? You ever seen somebody, Tommy Ray's not here tonight, but if you've ever been to his shop, the guy knows what he's doing with cars, doesn't he? Walter's been to his shop. Raymond's been to his shop. I've seen him working on the body of a car. And he can do a lot of his work by hand, by feel. He's been doing it so long, he's so good at it, he can just do it by feel. That's how the devil operates. He's been doing this stuff so long, he's so good at it. I mean, he has mastered the craft of deception. A lot of folks have been fooled, haven't they? Think of how many people over the course of a year have been duped by various types of drugs. Did you know that there are people in the body of Christ that have problems with drugs, believe it or not? Alcohol, heroin, crack, pot. I mean, a lot of drugs out there. And the drug culture is saying, you need this. Talk to David, he can tell you. And let me tell you what, the devil knows when he gets you in that drug culture, it is almost impossible to turn loose. 
I don't know how many lives David has seen destroyed, but many, many lives. I did a funeral a couple of three years ago for a young man, 29 years old, heroin overdose, member of the body of Christ, been struggling with drugs for years. Sometimes people begin recreationally. They do it for the high, for the moment. And guess what? A lifetime addiction. Alcohol. It's amazing the number of people, young and old, in our world today that have been duped by alcohol. I can think of nothing valuable about the consumption of alcohol. Can you? I know it's killed a lot of people, destroyed a lot of homes. It has been responsible for the deterioration and destruction of many, many marriages and homes. You think the devil, you think he, you think he, stays up late at night worrying about the effects of alcohol? Absolutely not. The devil is having a heyday in our country, isn't he? You know, you think about, Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said the devil is the god of this age, the god of this world. The devil has been buying up real estate in this world for a long time. What he's trying to say is, it's my world. And what God says is my, it's my world, isn't it? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The devil wants you to think it's his world. And what Paul said is, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold in your life. Don't let him get real estate in your backyard. And let me tell you what, he's got a lot of real estate. He has devoured a lot of people in our world today. They have, they have been victimized by the greatest murderer, liar, and destructive force mankind has ever seen. No wonder Jesus called him a liar and a murderer in John chapter 8, verse 44. That's exactly what he is. It's exactly what he is. And I can tell you tonight, do you know why our country is in a tailspin? Do you know why many, many homes in our country tonight are going down the tubes? It is because of the work of the devil. And he delights in it. He's a master at his craft. And he is intent on deceiving the human family. Not only is he intent on deception, but also destruction. Listen again to what Peter said. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is not going to rest until he lays claim to your soul. Did you know that? He's not going to back off. He's not going to back down. He's not going to quit. He's going to keep bringing it every single day. And he will not rest until he deceives and destroys your life. Why is that? Because he is relentless and he is ruthless. And he delights in seeing you suffer. In seeing you hurt. When you shed tears because you're suffering and you're hurting, or because you've lost a loved one, let me tell you what, the devil takes great delight in that. He is the personification of everything that is evil and wicked and ungodly. And so, 
He's a master of his craft. He's intent on destroying you. As a matter of fact, go back and look at Luke chapter 22. You remember before Jesus went to the cross? Jesus made a statement to Peter in the long ago. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan's getting ready to put you through the mill, brother. Peter was an apostle, wasn't he? He spent some three years at the side of our Lord. He heard his messages. He saw the miracles that he performed. And yet, here is Satan trying to the best of his ability to destroy an apostle of God. And let me tell you what, he laid claim to one apostle, didn't he? A fellow by the name of Judas Iscariot. Judas went down in flames because he succumbed to the devil. There have been a lot of folks that have been deceived through the years. There are a lot of people that will spend eternity severed from the presence of the light of God because the devil won. Look, it's a battle every day, isn't it? I've been battling the devil for a long time. And you have too. And I want you to know there have been times when he's won. He's whipped me. He has beaten me down. But he hadn't won the war. You know, there may be a lot of battles, but there is an ongoing war, isn't there? That's why Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. That's why Paul would tell Timothy to war a good warfare, to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly. And that is, Satan can be a defeated foe. He is a determined foe, a dangerous foe, but he can be a defeated foe. Well, how do I know that? Listen now to what Peter said. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He said, resist him steadfast in the faith. Now let me just pause there for a minute. First and foremost, we're going to have to have some resolve, aren't we? We're going to have to be resolved to know something about the ways of the devil and the work of the devil. Peter's just talked about him. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul spends a lot of time talking about the Christian armor and how we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. We are in the battle for our soul. That battle is against the devil. He's going to bring it every day. He's going to do what he can to destroy us. And so we've got to know something about his ways and his work. I mean, don't you want to know something about the enemy? Don't you want to know how he operates? Paul said, we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil. Why? Lest he gain advantage over us. If you don't know something about your enemy, you're in trouble. That's what Paul's saying. So we've got to know something about his ways and his work. And then we've got to resist him. We've got to resist him as a child of God. Listen again to what Peter said. Resist him steadfast in the faith. 
knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. How then do we resist the devil? First, I would say we need to resist him through willpower. What was it James said? James chapter 4 and about verse 7, resist the devil, and what will it do? Flee from you. We're talking about willpower. The ability to exercise self-control. Go back and look at Genesis, back in Genesis chapter 39. You remember Joseph sold into the hands of Potiphar? Potiphar's wife came on to him, tried to seduce him. She made, she made some very strong advances. And yet he refused those advances. Why? Because of willpower. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So much so that you remember what the text says? He fled from her presence. So we got to resist him with our will. And then we must resist him with the word. Jesus, when confronted with the devil, three times, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, every time it is written. The psalmist said it like this, Psalm 119.11, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you think it's possible that we can resist the devil steadfast in the faith when God's Word has found a home in our heart? you think that's possible? Sure it is. So we've got, we've got to be alert ways to his work, to what he's all about, to understand something about the enemy. And then we've got to man or woman up and say, you know what? I'm not giving in. We've got to resist Him. I hope and pray, I hope and pray that you'll be strong and that you'll always have at your side the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That Word is powerful. The Hebrew writer said it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. A sword in ancient times was used offensively and defensively. When we do battle with the devil, we better make sure we've got a sword at our side. We've got to have his word in us, and we've got to have some willpower, a determination to do what's right, come what may. Tonight I hope and pray that we are on guard against the adversary. We're in the battle. We are in the battle of our lives. And we don't want the devil to win the war, do we? I can tell you what his fate is. Jesus said, hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's exactly where he's going. He's going to hell. And God's going to burn him forevermore. Now sadly, he's going to take a lot of people with him. And make no mistake, he wants to take you. He wants to take me. It's up to us to say, not so. 
not happening. Tonight, if you're here and you haven't become a Christian, I would strongly encourage you to come to Christ tonight. I know you don't want to go to hell. I know you don't want to spend eternity with the devil and his angels. You want to be with God and his people. You want to be in heaven, don't you? What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name. Be buried with Him in baptism. Rising to walk in newness of life. To enjoy a new status in Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, let's just say that the devil has taken you captive. He has imprisoned you. And you want freedom. Only one person can give you freedom. That's Jesus. You've got to turn to Him. And Jesus said, you can know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth liberates. So if you will come back, God will abundantly pardon. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We encourage you tonight to come as we stand and sing.